market. The S&P. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast where we talk all things money, the real stuff, not the conflicted mumbo-jumbo you'll get from some people, and maybe make you think and have a bit of a chuckle along the way. My name's Andrew Page, and as always, I'm joined by Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, Fools. Thanks for listening. Yes, despite the apparent Brexit Armageddon, we're still here, life still goes on, and oh, Happy New Year, Scott. Happy New Year, I think. Well, no, it is, really. Listeners, thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to give you a foolish reality check on Brexit, the post-mortem, or is there worse to come? Airbnb's 30 billion reasons to smile, and the Australian companies poised to win and lose in the sharing economy. Plus, a special extended foolish moment of truth. We're bringing you three moments, three foolish New Year's money resolutions that should keep you whole. Scott, let's start with Brexit, the post-mortem here. Now, last time we spoke about this, neither you nor me, nor I think the vast majority of people out there, expected that it would go through. But surprise, surprise, it did. 52% of those Brits that turned out to vote said they wanted out. Yeah, that's right. I don't think even Boris Johnson thought it was going to happen. And in the event, the, the vote shocked almost everybody. And now the EU is, or the UK is heading out of the EU. Never a dull moment in finance. Indeed. So, the, the, you know, the news sent markets into an absolute spin. Uh, European markets tumbled. We tumbled here. And God help you if you were exposed more directly to the, to the UK. They really took a tumble. Some of the banks over there suffering some of their biggest losses since the subprime crisis. The yeah, pound think, at its lowest level in 30 years. Yeah, the UK bank Lloyds, I think, fell 29.9% or something in the direct aftermath of the, of the news. So just really, really, you know, UK financial markets in particular, but banks specifically, really took a hit. Man, it was absolutely huge. Having said that, if you'd been under a rock between then and now, you know, as we record this, the Aussie market's only a touch below where it was before all of this happened. So what does that mean? Nothing to see here. Situation normal. We'll go back to bed. I guess that was part of the point we were making when we last spoke about yeah, it. it was. That these these are these are um, big global. Uh, it's a big global event. Mm. Big global events always have an impact on markets. They probably should have an impact on markets. But I guess what we're trying to say is it's really a wasted exercise trying to speculate on that, or, or more yeah. more generally trying to do anything differently as a result of these things on the horizon. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you think about the the GFC was a big deal, and everyone, you know, there's an old saying that generals always fight the last war. And I yeah. think everybody in the financial markets now is. It's got this feeling of what if this is the next GFC? What's to come next? Uh, Brexit was the was the next big fear, and in the event, I mean, markets really tumbled for a couple of days after the mm. after the announcement, after the sure results of the referendum came in. But in the in the event, kind of that was pretty short lived, and now things are almost back square. Well, they are as we speak, but this is a process that's going to potentially go on for years. You yeah. know, the UK has to negotiate its way out of this. We don't know where the chips are going to fall. You know, the UK economy is a big part of that that's that's exposed to the financial sector. And the financial sector itself is um, is probably one of the most hardest hit or expected to be the most hardest hit areas. So it's probably too early to call this as a non-event. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, you know, as you say, the UK has two years to negotiate an exit once they give notice. Mm. They haven't given notice yet. David Cameron's talking about the next... PM's got to do that. And he's not going to resign for a couple of months. Mm. There's probably an election, a UK election coming up in between then and now. 
Uh, we don't know who the next prime minister is going to be. There's a lot, to, a lot of water to go under the bridge. There are still some people holding out some hope that the UK might somehow remain in the EU. Of Be- course, best two out of three. Well, exactly. <laughs> Just keep keep voting until you get the result you want. <laughs> right. I think. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there really is some uncertainty. Of course, Boris Johnson himself was supposed to be the next PM, yep. and we heard only only recently that he's not going to. You know, he's he's pulled out of the race he's there. So yeah. you know, lots and lots and lots of stuff to go still under the bridge. This is this is the first. Big, you know, it was a seismic change. It will be a seismic change for geopolitics around the world and in Europe in particular. Uh, but for the financial markets, this was the first big change. But as you rightly say, Andrew, there are still two years, probably three, maybe even more, of ructions to go. And you can be absolutely sure that from time to time, there'll be good news and bad news and good news and bad news as as markets freak out about whatever the latest bit of news is. Well, I'm going to give you the bear case. So UK, the world's fifth largest economy, um, uh, that could well go into recession, not just because of the financial exposure that, that I mentioned before, but you know you've got to imagine that consumer sentiment's going to take a hit, business investments going to be pulled right back, mm. um, and whenever you have a, a situation where people aren't spending and businesses aren't investing, I mean that's got to give you outsized chances of a recession, right? Yeah, I think that's true. If you think about you know what drives economies, and the answer is pretty much confidence. Now you think about you're you're sitting at home or in your office or in your car listening to this podcast right now. If you think the future is going to be a bit bleak, you're probably not going to buy that new car. You're probably not going to go and buy the new jacket or handbag or mm-hmm. game or phone. You're probably going to think, well, I don't need to spend that money. Maybe I'll just wait and see. Maybe things might get worse. And if they do, I don't want to I don't want to be too exposed. Now if too many people think that, particularly in the UK, Andrew, as you've already mentioned, if businesses say, well, I won't invest just in case this EU thing's a problem, or consumers think, well, maybe there's job losses coming down the pike. As soon as people put their money away, they, they, you know, this causes problems. Remember, of course, economies grow at two-ish percent a year. Mm. So it doesn't take much for that to turn negative pretty quickly. Think mm. about, you know, for every hundred bucks you spend, if you think, well, I'll spend 98 instead, that growth completely goes away. You do that enough times, and all of a sudden you've got a, either a recession or at least a significant slowdown. And now I guess the, the really big thing that people are worried about here is that Britain actually extricates itself fairly painlessly. Mm. Now that's going, the, the problem here is, is that that's going to make other EU members think, well, actually that turned out pretty well for the Brits. And, you know, you look at some of the country, you know, Greece and Portugal and Spain and the really indebted countries. Mm-hmm. I think, you know what, screw this, we're out. Yeah. You know, we'll tear up all our debts. You know, our currencies will fall. The whole EU implodes as a result of this. Yeah, that, that is exactly the, the very worst case scenario is it's painful for the UK and it really does set the dominoes rolling. There's been some pretty famous or infamous economists and, and, and business thinkers, strategic thinkers who've come out and said, this is the first domino to fall and the rest will go. This is, to start, for some people's minds, the end of the EU. Now, it, <laughs> Quite frankly, I guess, look, Andrew, you've, you put the bear case pretty clearly. I've got to say, even if that is the case, the you know the European countries, the countries of the world, you know, worked out just fine before there was an EU, mm. and so you know the, 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 this EU thing is probably look. I think it's probably a good thing, generally speaking, for the world. I'd be sorry to see it go, mm. but but it's not exactly like we needed it before or we need it now to somehow give us something that we couldn't have had otherwise. If we go back to the Italian lira and the French franc and the you know the, the, the German the German Deutsche Mark, the, mm. exactly. Yeah, I mean. Does that really change anything? I mean, yes, it makes things a bit more complex for international trade. It certainly makes you know uh, goods and services being pushed across the EU a little bit harder. And frankly, mm. having a single currency, having a single union does reduce friction, and friction is cost in the, in the financial world. So you know, is it better as a union than without? Yes, financially and, and economically, yes, absolutely. But does this really presage the, the, end of the end of the world as we know it? I just can't see how it does, because even if there are some bumps along the way, the world existed perfectly fine for you know, many thousand years before the EU. And if the EU does go by the wayside, I think the world's going to be completely fine. 
Well, I guess that's it. People in those countries and around the world will continue to get up every morning and go to work. They'll continue to um, to try and save and build for their futures. Businesses will continue to innovate. Right. You know, I think the economists can argue, and, 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 and correctly so, that things may have been better or worse under varying scenarios. But it isn't the end of days. And, and the point that we really want to reiterate here is it doesn't really change your approach to your financial situation. Yeah, exactly. Think about, you know, the, the likes of, um, the, so the likes of Grexit. Remember, Brexit's come on the heels of Grexit. Grexit was supposed to be the Greek exit from the EU that yep. was possibly going to happen, didn't end up happening in the end. The result, yep. there was war, in, or potential war in Ukraine. There's been all manner of reasons for fear and, 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 and panic. Only very few of those actually come to pass. The ones that do come to pass most often don't cause problems. Mm. As I said earlier, people look at the GFC and think, oh God, what if that happens again? Yeah. And when you look through everything through that lens, you're never going to invest. You're never going to save. You're never going to try and do anything. You're going to be you know, in, in a cave with shotguns and baked beans waiting mm. for the end of, I say, the end of right. days to come. Yeah. Uh, you know, The reality is that every now and again, one of those things will happen, like a GFC, yep. and it will cause real financial pain. Yep. Think about the eighty-seven crash, the dot-com crash. Yeah. You know, every every dozen or so years, there is something that happens like this, and it mm. is a big deal. Mm. The reality, though, is the markets gain about ten percent a year, despite those things, not in the absence of them. In other words, mm. you don't just have to invest in just the good years to do well out of investing in mm. shares. If you invest despite those things, the last thirty years, you've turned ten grand into two hundred and fifty odd grand, ten percent mm. per annum return. And that's including those things, the 87 crash, wars, GFCs, tech crashes, terrorism, everything you can name, which are on an individual and political level, really serious things. But despite all those things happening, the market still turned 10 grand into the best part of a quarter of a million bucks just because it compounded over time. The the, the path of, of capitalism, the path of capitalist democracy just takes us down that path. If you try and get out of the markets and wait and say, I'll invest when everything looks clear, when the coast is clear, when do you invest? When was the last time you got up and thought, well, everything's great in the world today. There's absolutely no potential risk on the horizon. It, if it wasn't Brexit, it would have been China. If it wasn't China, it would be house prices. If it wasn't house prices, it'd be something else. There was a double dip recession out of the GFC people were worried about. You know, there is always going to be reason for concern, reason for fear. If you give into those fears, you might as well go and, as I said, sit in the cave with your baked beans, invest despite the fear, take the occasional loss, because the long-term benefits are far, far more worth, worth it than being out of the market. Well, that's just it. And before we move on, I just, the, the, the quick um, note I'll make on that is that's not 10% every year. I mean, you'll right. have years right. where it's up 30%, years where it's down 50%. And that That's the average. And that's yep. why if you're going to invest, you do it for the long-term because you can ride that kind of stuff out. But look, we're going to run out of time if we don't move on, Scott. So we could talk about Brexit all day. I can um, rant with the best of them. <laughs> you and I both. <laughs> Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. So Airbnb is what we wanted to talk about. Um, look, they're disrupting the accommodation market and in a big way. Can you believe that they only started over in the US in 2008? Um, and today they're in 190 different countries. In fact, they've only been in Oz since 2012. And now they account for about, uh, well, Aussies account for about 10% of Airbnb's revenues. So this thing has grown massively. And it was in the news this week. There's reports it's looking to raise a whole whack of cash around 1 billion Australian dollars. We have the Dr. Evil, you know, 1 billion dollars. <laughs> Based on that, the company is worth close to 30 billion oh, US. It's dear, huge, dear. incredible wealth has been created there. Um, still growing at a cracking pace. But despite all of that, this is a business that's losing money. According to the Wall Street Journal, it lost about 150 million US last year. So the question, a couple of questions, I suppose, that, that sort of comes from all of this. 
The first one, what does the rise of the so-called sharing economy mean for old world businesses? And what do we need to get into or also avoid? Yeah, it's a really great question. I think this is, you know... Think about 2008. You know, the, the iPhone is, I think, seven years old or something like that, 10 years old, whatever it is. You know, the, these are these are technologies. We take these things for granted. The pace of technological yeah. innovation, the pace of change is so dramatic. I can't imagine my life without a smartphone. You know, I live most of it without one. Yeah. The, the internet, sharing economy, Airbnb, Uber, for example, another another sharing economy story. You know, these are, these are companies that we take for granted and, and frankly... We're just so used to now, it's hard to mm. remember a time before that. But as you've already mentioned, Airbnb, only eight years old, speaking of the GFC, of course, born in the absolute teeth of the recession and done a fantastic mm. job since, mm. um, you know, in Australia for four years. And 10% of revenues, think about that. Australia is one fifteenth of the population of the US. There is dramatic, and, and that's only the US. Yeah. So we're probably, what, one fortieth of, of the world's population, yeah. certainly of, of the developed world's population, when it comes to the Airbnb opportunity. Mm. We are super early adopters when it comes to technology. We, sure. we jump yeah. on these things like iPhones and others really, really fast. And I think there's probably some some lessons and some, and some stories there. Okay, so I want a piece of the action. <laughs> I want some. Don't of we this. all? Don't we can all? I, can I buy shares in Airbnb? Uh, only if you know someone. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. they're, they're making offers currently to uh, so-called sophisticated investors okay, and others. And really, yeah. uh, unless you've got unless you've got a, a, a personal wealth or or you can tap some wealth worth a, a billion dollars or so, they're probably not going to come calling. Not quite. For yeah, give me, give me a couple more years. <laughs> At least a couple. Um, they're not going to come calling for either of us. This is a private company still in the private market. The thirty billion valuation, as you say, is based on that billion dollars they're raising. Yep. That'll buy about three percent of the company. You roll that forward, and that's thirty billion dollars worth. Right. Still a private company, though. You think about that. That's pretty astonishing. Mm. Some of the biggest companies on the on the markets in Australia and overseas are worth less than that, some yeah. a bit more than that. Yeah. This is a private company worth that. It's still very much in the early stages of its growth. Airbnb really, and if you haven't used it, it's it gives you the opportunity to, to rent a room or a house for, for a holiday or for, for a business day, whatever you want to use it for. Uh, we used Andrew and we went to, to Omaha, Nebraska in the US to, to see uh, see Warren Buffett himself. We, we, we yeah. rented a house and it was We didn't super rent easy. his house, unfortunately. That would have no, been we cool. Would have been nice. Uh, super, super easy, really clear. The website looks after everything for yeah. you. Yep. looks after the transaction, the payment, the whole thing. And, the, and, the, and the thing to point out here is that house is someone's house. They've Correct. just listed it on there and then we've gone, we've, we've, we've connected through this portal. And they've made some money and we've got a place to stay. Yeah, and this, this is the sharing economy writ large. Uber, same sort of thing. You, you, you Effectively, you're not borrowing someone else's car. You're borrowing someone else's driving you around yep. in their car. Um, there's plenty of these. This is the breakdown of the democratization, if you like, mm. of of commerce, of, of the economy. It's really saying, well, I've got a thing. If you want some of that, here's a way to make it happen. Yep. Now, if I had a car and it was sitting in my garage or if I had a, a room that wasn't being used previously... I might put some you know, signs on notice boards at the local Woolies or the local university and say, hey, I've got a room. Do you want it? Yep. Airbnb takes it not only national but global yeah. in a way that really wasn't possible before. It facilitates the trade, the payment, and the rating system is really important here. One of the yeah. really key things of the sharing economy is the ability to rate. So you can rate me as a host. I can rate you as a guest yeah. and vice versa. And, and then you know, other people can say, well, hang on, this, this host wasn't particularly flash. I'm not going to stay there. Or conversely, you know, this guy who stayed at someone else's house, you know, left it, trashed it. So I'm not going to let him. Yeah, it's a lo the lovely feedback mechanism. It really yeah. is. And, 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 it, and it makes it, it means that you or I are both going to behave better in those circumstances. Yep. And also we can choose, we can know that we couldn't previously the sort of, you know, it's effectively a reference, right? A, an online reference mm. for, for who we are, what we do and how we, how we use the service. Okay. So actually I, I was saying, I want to get piece of the action. I, I'll, let me backtrack. I'm going to go to what do I need to avoid? You know, there's one thing that comes to mind, Scott, you mentioned Uber. Yeah. There's a business listed on the ASX called Cab Charge. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard of these guys. If you've ever caught a cab, the little payment system that's in there is from Cab Charge. If your boss has ever given you a docket for to get home after work one night, if you've been working late, you've probably got a Cab Charge, cab charge docket. These guys were clipping 10% of every 
the t of the ticket for every single cab ride virtually in Australia for a long, long, long time. Made huge fortune for its shareholders. Uh, is it now? It, look, it's gone from 14 odd bucks back in 2007 to three odd bucks today. Yeah. Is, is, is this one that would... I should invest. In. It's pretty ugly, isn't it? Look, cab charge was almost the equivalent of highway robbery. It was a monopoly over not only the payment system, but taxis themselves. Mm. Cab charge owns most of the big cab companies. Even the brands you see out there as, you, as the cabs drive past you on the street, cab charge owns most of those brands. Yep. The taxi drivers and owners own the cars and the plates. Yep. But cab charge owned the systems, the franchises, if you like, and also the payment system. As you said, Andrew, um, yeah, I've, I've certainly paid well and truly my share of money to cab charge over the, over the years. You know, mm -hmm. a, a 15 buck cab ride, 20 buck cab ride that cost me another 10 percent just for cab charge for the privilege of using their FOS terminal rather than paying cash. Okay. It's a nice little bit of nice little bit of money they earned there. The problem now is that effectively Uber has broken the taxi model. Mm. It really has. You know, you think about you know cab charge itself, the payment system. A by the way, it's been um, the ten percent they're charging was reduced in Victoria to five percent, mm. and there's talk about doing it around the rest of the country. Mm. So they're already you know the, the government's already saying, hey, you guys are, are taking too much money yeah. here. We'll limit that. But on top of that, people are using Uber and vast vast numbers. just losing market share. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, so if yeah. you're if you're a monopoly, you can charge monopoly fees effectively which yeah. is what cab charge was doing yeah. all of a sudden now why would you use a cab if you can use uber and if you can use a cab you're going to want a better price to make it happen yep. we've seen in new south wales in particular the government basically set up a rescue fund for taxi owners yeah. because uber's destroyed the model you know they're, they're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for taxi licenses that's gone by the wayside you simply they're, they're effectively worthless now because everybody with a car less than nine years old can be a can be a taxi driver right. okay so so what about what's listed on the aussie stock exchange things that i can buy that are going to benefit from this now i know that there's there's quite a few sharing economy based businesses that are out there i was reading in the paper the other day there's things like car next door and drive my car where i can not just drive people around, but actually lend them my car. There's things like Air Tasker, Redbubble. Um, but what about, they, again, they're not listed. What about ones I can actually buy shares on? Yeah, probably the one most people have heard of is Freelancer. Freelancer.com yes. yep. was one business that, that really burst onto the market and, and is doing a reasonable job. Um, still very much in the early stages, like Airbnb and others. Most of these guys don't make any money, by the way. These, right. are, these are purely... You know, these are new economy companies yep. that are that are promising to revolutionise the way we do business, and frankly, they are. That that that, that promise is absolutely being delivered. Mm. Whether that delivers profits to shareholders and how much profit is delivered to shareholders is a different story. Yeah, Airbnb's thirty billion dollar valuation is backed up by little more than expectations of future profitability yeah. that well, might it's be not massive. Any now. Exactly. Yeah. This this is absolutely a future story. So Freelancer is one. Redbubble is another on the ASX. Um, these companies, you know, they're they're trying to change the way we do things. Freelancer with when it comes to jobs. Redbubble when it comes to to creativity, creative uh, pursuits, um, uh, graphic design, and that sort of stuff. There are businesses out there who are doing exactly this sort of thing. But you know, I have to say, Andrew, you know, it's one thing to say Uber is changing the way I travel or Airbnb is changing the way I stay. It's a very, very different thing to say I want to go and own shares in those businesses because even if the even if the if the model even if the if the concept is proven even if we all you know if taxis go broke we all use Airbnb ten years from now or, or sorry we all use sharing economy rooms ten years from now will it be Airbnb that that, that are successful will it be freelancer will it be Uber yeah. and if so will they make enough money to justify the current valuations that's a very big jump from this is a really cool technology yeah. to this is a business I want to own yeah I think that's the thing we've got to be aware of is that these these are the kinds of businesses that when you when you roll the, the clock forward ten years absolutely there's going to be some massive dominant players in, yeah, in right. these space and they're going to be making a fortune the tough part is which one is it going to be there's a lot of cool companies out there making big promises they all love to compare themselves to uber and airbnb but this yeah. is a land grab and it's an expensive exercise a lot of money is spent in trying to to secure market share 
and you'll find that there's probably going to be two, maybe three big winners, and there's going to be a long list of losers. So um, it's a very exciting space. Before we move on, I guess the closing message will be it ain't a slam dunk with a lot of these sharing economy type businesses and um, nothing wrong with investing in them, but just make sure you've got a very good or high level of confidence that they're going to be one of the ones left standing when the music stops. Yeah, that's right, Andrew. Just, just quickly, to, you know, just add one anecdote. 40, 45 years ago, if you'd have told me the growth in air travel yep. over the over the over the next half century, if you'd said, "Look, air travel will explode," it'll be it'll be tens and tens and tens of of, of numbers of people traveling. Yep. In two thousand and sixteen, there were nine seventy six, for example. Yep. I would have gone, "Great, that's fantastic!" Imagine that. Imagine how much money the airlines could make. Right? Yep. Exactly. And and you know, and, and frankly, the entire industry is still a basket case forty years later. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. just because a trend is real, just because there is there's a tailwind or a macroeconomic change, something that says this is the new world. It probably is the new world. It doesn't necessarily mean the companies involved can make any money. All right. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Well, happy new year, by the way, Scott. Thank you very much, I think. Well, it is. It's it's the it's the new financial year from July one onwards. We're in a, a brand new financial year. And you know, every time a new year's rocks around People like to make resolutions. Indeed. It's, uh, you know, probably, I have to say, we, we've all been to our share of mediocre New Year's parties and, uh, on December 31, January 1. And for us financial wonks, uh, the financial New Year, at least for me, Andrew, I won't speak for you, is somewhat more interesting and a little bit more, I won't say exciting, but just a little bit more interesting than, uh, than perhaps the, uh, the usual uh, calendar type. All right. Well, if you were going to make a New Year's resolution, a new financial year's resolution, what would your first one be? Oh dear. I really hate resolutions. I've got to tell you, I, I really, you know, the whole idea of, you know, get fit, lose weight, stop smoking, blah, blah, blah. But it's good but, for a few weeks. Isn't it? <laughs> it's good at least until, well, sometimes they get to February, You're not right. often. Okay. But these are, these are resolutions that actually are worth keeping. These are resolutions that are going to give you something back. And I think, you know, often our resolutions are stop smoking, stop drinking, lose weight, da, 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 all these things that are terrible and, and, you know, you don't want to do anymore. These, these resolutions are resolutions that actually are worth keeping because it'll actually make you richer. And that's a, that's a pretty good thing. That's a good thing. So speaking of which, the first resolution that we think our, our, our listeners should, should really take to heart is just get started. And I know that's, that's like, you know, an obvious one, but sometimes, you know, it's the old thing, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. My favorite but, one is the best time to plant an oak tree was 50 years ago. The second best time is today. Very good. It's nice. It's got to be Confucius or something, but it's nice though, <laughs> like isn't that. it? I like that. It's very good. Look, yeah. So, so getting started, or if you're already investing, invest more, invest more, invest again, mm-hmm. buy your next share, buy your first share. This is, you know, investing is really, really simple. The process is incredibly simple, but I have to say, I can still remember opening my first brokerage account back in the day and trying to work out how everything might work and how the process worked and you know mm. what was going to happen. And it's a, it can be a little bit daunting. So you know, that sort of inertia really can hold a lot of people back from investing. Yeah, I should get to it. I'll get to it next week, next month, when I finally mm. get there, when I save some money, da, 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 da. There's a whole... Yeah, it's whole, there's dozens of excuses you can put in your own way. Mm. Listeners, please do yourself a favor, do your family a favor, do your kids and your, your descendants a favor. Start investing today. Open a brokerage account, put some money in it, make your first trade. Make that your financial news resolution, number one. Yeah, and don't overcomplicate it too, just to add a, a, a quick thought to that as well. You know, you're not going to live or die based on the first investment you buy. You're going to be building up a diversified mix of quality companies over time. Some of them won't go well. 
Um, more than half probably will if you're doing it right and, and you'll on average do okay. And I'd encourage people to go back and listen to the podcast where we talked about ETFs. It's a really easy, no-brainer way of going about it. Yeah, good idea. Okay, so that's a great one, Scott. My one is Save More. It's another easy, no-brainer one. This is almost a form of guaranteed return. You can talk about making money through investing and that's mm. a great thing to do. But, you know, saving money is the, the easiest, most guaranteed way to improve your financial situation. And most of us don't do it or at least we don't do it very well. And so we're not saying that you have to go and live on two-minute noodles and water and stale bread here, but just try and put a little bit of that paycheck aside every week. You know, if you can save 50 bucks a, a week, you know, you've got two and a half grand at the end of the year. And again, if you're, if you're investing that and that's compounding, man, that's going to grow incredibly well. So don't spend all your money. It sounds obvious, but not many people do it. So that's my one. Yeah, to your point about guaranteed returns too, Andrew, it's, yeah, to your point, if you're saving 20, 30 bucks a week, if you can double out the 50 or 60 bucks a oh, week, you, you actually doubled your, you, you've literally doubled your nest egg. As much yeah. as it might, you know, yes, we want people to get great investment returns. We want you to earn a, earn a good return on the money you save. Yep. But at, at the very least, the more you can actually put away, it, as you say, it's a, it's a guaranteed Guaranteed. amount of saving and it, yeah. and it really does it that itself if you can save a bit more or start saving in the first place yep. that is going to have a, such a dramatic impact on your on your and i guess I, the, the, the caveat here is if you've got a, a bit of debt on the old credit card or maybe you've got a big home loan as well um paying them down is a form of savings too in a way you you are saving on future interest payments and that's another great thing to do so if you find yourself with a bit of debt there get rid of that and then keep saving yeah, for the love of God, pay for your credit cards. It's really, really important. Hey, my last one, just to, to wrap us up, uh, don't anchor. Anchoring we'll go into probably in a different conversation at a different time, but anchoring is basically where you focus on a price you paid or an old share price. You know, I paid two bucks and now the share's $1.90. I'll sell when it gets back to that level. Or shares that were $2, now they're three bucks. If they ever get back to that level, I'll buy. Looking at the past and anchoring to that, using that as a, as a framework or a benchmark, a, a milestone, any of those analogies, um, that's, that's the sort of stuff you need to be really careful of. Don't anchor. Make sure you keep yourself focused on the future and look at the value of the asset, not the previous prices. Like Elsa from Frozen says, the past is in the past, Scott. You've got to look forward, right? Let it go, Andrew. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> okay. I'm giving up the fact that I've got a young daughter. <laughs> you really are. Um, it's not just me who's watching it by myself. Um, okay, so we, we better move on on that note. Listeners, thank you very much. If you like what we're doing, remember, give us a, a rating. Speaking of the sharing economy and, and <laughs> rankings and that, give us a rating on iTunes. Tell your friends. I'm sure they could do with a little foolish straight talk. Uh, Scott, as always, thanks for your time. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, fools. And listeners, until next time, fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.